Well, tonight, okay, we're going to concentrate on a subject that ties into the lesson that we actually started this past Sunday regarding faith. The title of this lesson tonight is The Significance of Hope. Now, of course, we are aware that hope exists and it has importance. We all know that. However, I don't think we always see its significance when it comes to our faith. So what I want you to do is turn with me to 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, and the 13th verse. We're all familiar with the scripture. 1 Corinthians 13, and the very last verse, verse 13. And it says in the New King James Version, which most of us can quote, and now abide faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. And of course, the traditional King James Version uses charity opposed to love. Okay. If we look at it in the Amplified, which you know is one of my preferences because the Amplified gives us what? The qualifiers. It says, and now there remain faith, here's the qualifier, abiding trust in God and his promises, hope, here's the qualifier, confident expectation of eternal salvation, love, unselfish love for others growing out of God's love for me. That was the qualifier. These three, the choiciest graces, but the greatest of these is love. And then if we look at it in the message, it says, but for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us toward the consummation. Trust steadily in God, hope unswervingly, love extravagantly. And the best of the three is love. Now we know without question the importance of love. I mean, everybody knows that hands down. It is the foundation, after all, of our Christianity. God is what? He's love, okay? He sent his only begotten son because he so loved the world. Now we also all know John 3:16, okay? For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. However, I wanna share that same verse of scripture with you out of the Amplified and the Message. Out of the Amplified it says, for God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave his one and only begotten son so that whoever believes and trusts in him as savior shall not perish but have eternal life. And then the message is beautiful because it says this is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son, and this is why, so that no one need be destroyed by believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help to put the world right again. Anyone who trusts in him is acquitted. Anyone who refuses to trust him has long since been under the death sentence without knowing it. And why? because of that person's failure to believe in the one-of-a-kind Son of God when introduced to him. That right there, to me, if that scripture is ministered to people in that translation, that kind of like 
solves the whole thing. You don't even have to say much more. That's why I love the different translations. But anyway, God has made every provision for us because he loves us. That's why. He loves us so unconditionally, and his love is so deep that it's really beyond our comprehension. When you really stop to think about it, it is. It really is beyond what we can even comprehend. Now, as you recall, the first commandment focuses on what? Love. Let's look at it. Turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, the 22nd chapter, and we're going to look at verses 34 through 40. Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. In the Amplified, it says, now, to set this up, Jesus is in a place where, of course, they have the Pharisees who are now starting to question his credibility, for lack of a better term. So they feel like they can kind of quiz him and start asking him questions to see if they can trip him up, okay? So that's where we're at in this particular, when we start with verse 34 in Matthew 22. So it says, now when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced, muzzled the Sadducees, they gathered together. One of them, a lawyer, an expert in Mosaic law, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is, unselfishly seek the best or higher good for others. The whole law and the writings of the prophets depend on these two commandments. The message puts it a little nicer, well, a little gentler, when it says, when the Pharisees heard how he had bested the Sadducees, they gathered their forces for an assault. One of their religion, religion scholars spoke for them, posing a question they hoped would show him up. Teacher, which command in God's law is the most important? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence. This is the most important, the first on any list. But there is a second to set alongside it. Love others as well as you love yourself. These two commands are pegs, everything in God's law, and the prophets hang from them. Now, these scriptures alone prove the paramount importance of love, okay? I think we can all agree with that. The question remains, however, why is hope so significant? Notice it is included as one of the three greatest virtues along with faith and love, as we just read when we read 1 Corinthians 13, 13. You may be asking yourselves the same question. The good news is that we will explore this subject and find out. Notice also that hope is given the exact same level of importance as the other two virtues. I submit to you that hope is the foundation for faith and love. And without hope, faith and love cannot operate. Amen. Think about it. God is our creator, right? He made us in his image and likeness, correct? Well, how did he do that? We don't really always stop and think about that. First, 
He conceived the idea of man, then he believed it, and then he spoke it into existence. Actually, this is the same formulation that God uses for all creation. How much is left out of all? Okay, so that's what he uses for everything. So how is hope involved in this formula? It's rather simple. To conceive an idea, you create a mental picture of what it is to be formed. I mean, you kind of figure that out, right? In this sense, the word conceive and hope are interchangeable. What happens in our lives when we create something, anything for that matter? The exact same formula is used whether we realize it or not. Turn to Genesis. This is another scripture you know. The first chapter of Genesis, and we're going to look at verse 26. And I know you guys know this. Genesis 1:26. If we look at it in the Amplified with the qualifiers, it says, Then God said, Let us... Father, Son, Holy Spirit, so in case you don't know who us is, the Amplified is telling you, it is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make man in our image according to our likeness, not physical, but a spiritual personality and moral likeness, and let them have complete authority over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, and over the entire earth, and over everything that creeps and crawls on the earth. Now the message expounds a little bit more and it says, God spoke, let us make human beings in our image, make them reflecting our nature so that they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself, and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. God created human beings. He created them godlike, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female. God blessed them prosper, reproduce, fill earth, take charge, be responsible for fish in the sea and birds in the air for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. Now the significance and job of hope begins with a thought as we create a mental image of God's promise being fulfilled in our lives. If we hold on to that image and do not let go, it will transform into a confident expectation of the fulfillment of that promise. This is important to remember. If you don't have a mental image based upon God's word, you don't have the God kind of hope. Okay? I'm going to repeat that because this is something that you can just kind of like meditate on. The significance and job of hope begins with a thought as we create a mental image of God's promise being fulfilled in our lives. If we hold on to that image and do not let go, it will transform into the confident expectation of the fulfillment of that promise. This is important to remember. If we don't have a mental image based upon God's word, we don't have the God kind of hope. Now, if we are not standing upon the truth, which we know is what? The word of God. Then we're not hoping 
for an outcome come at all, but we're really merely wishing. Now wishes are definitely not the same thing as hoping, okay? Amen. Wishes are not certain and they're fragile in nature. Now I want you to think about this. Think about blowing out candles on your birthday cake from the time you're a little child all the way up till right now, okay? Now when you blow out the candles on your cake, usually your thought process behind the wish is really kind of fleeting, you know? <laughs> if your wish comes true, great. If not, that's okay too. And you've been that way really since ch childhood. And I can give you this example because think about a child living in an apartment in the five boroughs. And they make a wish when they blow out their candles and they wish for a pony. Now they know full well if somebody gave them a pony, where are they going to put it? Okay, where's it going to fit in the bathroom apartment? Okay, so it's really, it's, it, I'm trying to give you that example to just let you know it's not the same thing. So we need to understand that when we are hoping for something, it's a lot different than if we're just merely wishing for it. And we need to know that there's really a distinct difference, okay? Because also, as adults, you could, you could wish for something like um, <laughs> women, single ladies, okay? Now, <laughs> I have to qualify that. They may wanna have a date with Denzel or with Idris, you know, like just out to dinner, because both of these men are married, so okay, let's, <laughs> but they might just, would love to be invited to go out to dinner with them, okay? Or some of the men, our single men, might really want to take out Halle Berry. There is one that I know would love to, okay? <laughs> and especially after seeing that trashy movie, Monsters Ball, they would just love to take her out, okay? <laughs> However, neither scenario is going to happen for a myriad of reasons. In these situations, it's more like futile dreaming where the person needs to stop really wasting their time, which is their life, okay? So back to the reality of God kind of hope. This is what you can stand confidently on when faced with any challenge of any magnitude in life. Why do I say this? The God kind of hope sees the promise of God on the inside, and eventually faith manifests it on the outside. Amen. The word of God specifically shows us that in Hebrews. Turn to Hebrews, the 11th chapter, and we're going to look at verse 1. Again, this is something that we can quote, probably, out of the New King James. Hebrews 11, 1. We all know this one because in the New King James Version it says, now faith is what? The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We all know that. Okay, let's break it down a little bit more. If we look at it in the easy to read version, it says, faith is what makes real the things we hope for. It is proof of what we cannot see. In the message it says, the fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. The act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors, set them above the crowd. And if we look at it lastly in the Amplified, it says, now faith is the assurance. I love this. Here is what that means. Here is 
the qualifier for assurance. The title deed confirmation of things hoped for, divinely guaranteed, and the evidence of things not seen, the conviction of their reality. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. So that's a little bit more in depth than to just say, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's the last one I read is the amplified version. Again, this is why we like different translations, okay? So hope is significant because it sets the goal that faith then brings substance to. So that's why hope is so important. You see, without hope, faith has nothing to which it can attach itself. Now, I want you to think this is really going to go back. I'm dating myself, but that's okay. Think of the old-fashioned way that you would dry clothes, hanging them out on a clothesline. Now, everybody should be able to relate to that, okay? I know it's old-fashioned, but just kind of imagine if you saw it on TV, if, if you know. If, this is, if, if you're not old enough to remember this, okay? I want you to think of this scenario. The item of clothing represents your goal, okay? The clothespins represent faith, and they're vital to the result, all right? But the clothesline represents hope. The clothesline is crucial because faith, which are the clothespins, they have to attach themselves to something. So if you don't have the clothesline there, okay, it can't accomplish the goal. So without the clothesline or hope, your faith is present without any stabilizer. So the isn't that something? I know, I like that. <laughs> I thought that, look, that was something the Holy Spirit gave to me. He gives me, it's, you just have no idea. I don't even know where I was and he gave me this. I was like, oh, wait a minute, I like that. Because when you think about it, it's, it's really kind of that simple and that practical. But we don't always necessarily think of it that way. But we really need to. Because the whole point of the matter is without hope, faith has nothing to which it can attach itself. In other words, you don't have a confident expectation of something. There's nothing to which your faith can attach substance. If you don't have anything, I mean, what is it attaching itself to? Absolutely nothing. It's sort of like a bubble that you just kind of like put up in the air and it's just gonna pop into nothing. This is why it's imperative that you never give up, no matter what it looks like. And we're reminded of this in Romans. Turn with me to Romans, the 12th chapter, and we're gonna look at the 12th verse. Romans 12, 12. Again, I'm sure you're probably very familiar with it. Where it says in the New King James Version, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Now, if we look at it in the Amplified, it says, constantly rejoicing in hope. Here's the qualifier. Because of our confidence in Christ, steadfast and patient in distress, devoted to prayer, qualifier, continually seeking wisdom, guidance, and strength. And if we look at it in the message, it says, don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. 
Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians be inventive in hospitality. Now that was really something for this reason. Think about this. You might be growing through a storm and it might be like, oh my goodness, really getting your attention. Do you need to sit and, and, and wrestle with that? No, because if you have confident hope in God, you can rest in him. And then you need to reach out and help somebody else. Figure out a way to be hospitable toward them. And when you do that, you're taking all of the, the concern and thought processes off of whatever you happen to be growing through. Reach out to help somebody else. Stop being so self-absorbed where you're thinking only of yourself. That's really what we're supposed to do. I mean, when you think about it. And it really helps us when we do that. So think about this. Just back up. You're already in Romans. Back up to the second verse. And we definitely know this. Romans, the 12th chapter, verse 2. If we look at it in the New King James Version, it says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, if we look at this in the Amplified, it says, and do not be conformed to this world, here's the qualifier, any longer with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed, the qualifier, as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Here is the qualifier in his plan and purpose for you. Again, it's not about us. It's about what he has placed us here to do. That's really what it's about, okay? Um, if we look at it in the message, it says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Oh, do I love that. Place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Now you cannot tell me that was not a great translation. That was absolutely wonderful. So again, and this is really key, we cannot bring our trust in God down to the level of trust we have in other people in our lives. Amen. We have all lived long enough to know that people have the ability 
to be disappointing. <clears throat> Too often, we think of God in the same way without realizing that we do. And it affects everything in our creative process, meaning it affects our hope. And that's really, that's, that's really something. Meaning, you can talk to people and, and I've shared this with you before, and, it's, and I only will share it again because it, 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 it's so true. There are many ladies who, for whatever reason, they may have grown up in single-parent homes. They may not have had a relationship with their, with their fathers, or that some of them may not have even known their fathers, okay? There is somebody that I know very well who literally never met her dad. And, you know, I mean, she grew up, it was fine. I mean, she doesn't have any horror stories about it. She had a wonderful mother. She grew up in a wonderful home. However, for her to easily just accept the word and just receive that God loves her so much that he's going to do all the things that he promised to do for her, it's a struggle for her to receive that because, after all, the father that it would have been great if he was present in her life wasn't there. Now we're asking her to believe God who is a man she has never seen and she's bringing the thought of him down to the level of the father she never knew. So it's harder for her to trust God because she never had a dad that she could trust. And we have to sit and examine ourselves. It might not be a father that you don't trust. It could be somebody, a brother, a sister, could be your mom. It could be somebody else close in your life that you have developed a callousness when it comes to trust. And you've gotta make sure that you don't make the mistake of your relationship with God bringing him down and putting him in that same category. Because when he is asking you to trust him that he is gonna meet every single need that you have, you're gonna start without necessarily realizing it, you're gonna start doubting that. Like, yeah, okay, I trust you, but, okay? Like I have bills that are due and you said that you're gonna meet every need. You said that, I, I see it written here. They tell me that when I go to church. But you know what? I'm going to get me a part-time job because I just kind of, you know, like, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm having a hard time meeting these bills. So, I, you know, and then they're telling me something about I'm supposed to give and tithes and offerings. Are you kidding? I don't have enough money to make rent. So I, uh, I'm going to get a part-time job. Okay, but Lord, I trust you. Do you really? No, you don't. Okay, you are bringing him down to the level of your understanding of trust based on the relationships you have had with other people. And what I am submitting to you is you need to let that go. Figure it out, spend some time, some quality time with yourself and figure out if that is something that you have ever done. And if it is, today is the day to be set free from that because God is not like anyone else that you have ever known. Never, ever. He will never fail you. You, however, have to believe and you have to trust him. You definitely have to trust him. So, <laughs> when you do that, when you make that mistake, and it does start to affect your creative process, really what it's doing is it's diluting it to such a point where you aren't going to step out to do but so much. 
you know, because your hope, it, it, you're deluding it. Because for you to take a promise of God and, and get a total image, like say for instance, okay, say you want to get a different position at your job. Um, and it could be anything. I mean, you might find that there is a new position, excuse me, that's posted and you would really like to have it. But, you know, maybe they're saying that in order to get that job, you need to have an MBA. And you know that your level of education is not at that point, okay? So you sit there and you're like, oh, I would really like that, but, you know, I don't know. You know, I'm not quite sure. Um, you know, I know that the Lord said that he would give me the, desire, the, the desires of my heart as I delight myself in him. I know that it's written there. And I know that all promotion comes from above. I know all of that. But... Okay, that but is still there. So that but is interfering with your creative process because you can't get a mental image of seeing yourself sitting in that new position. You don't see yourself there. You're kind of wishing that you get the position. You are not creating the mental picture of I am going to get that position because I am believing God for that position and I am basing my hope upon the promises that he made in his word. And I see myself sitting in that new position. I am preparing myself for that new position. I'm going to go out and make sure when I show up for work, whatever those people wear in that position, I'm going to already be doing that because I believe I have received that. You can stand upon that. Amen. Then you can start speaking it into existence. Remember the formula that we had? Okay, so you can start applying your faith to that mental picture that you have. That's the creative process. That's your hope. You can start applying your faith to it. So therefore, as you're applying your faith, you can thank the Lord every day because that's the other thing, and we learned this in the prayer series. You need to pray, okay, and ask for wisdom and guidance and ask for the position, okay? Now you've released God to work on your behalf to provide you the position because you've given him the permission to do it because you've prayed and you've asked for that. Now you do all that you're supposed to do, all that you're directed to do, and you speak the position into existence. You can do that, but you can't if you're just merely wishing. And if you're just kind of like, hope, well, not really hoping, but you're wishing and you're like, well, maybe I could, but I don't know because I don't have the MBA that they're saying I'm supposed to have. And well, I don't know because, you know, Mary Sue over here, well, I don't want to say Mary Sue, we have a Mary Sue, Ludie Bell over here, okay? Ludie Bell told me that, you know, somebody else went up for it and she had an MBA, but it was just from a little college or something that wasn't all that special and they really want somebody from an Ivy League school and I don't even have an MBA and, oh, I just don't know. But I, I mean, you will talk yourself out of the creative process before it even began. Whereas you can turn that thing around and you can look at it and say, but God, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Guess what? Lord, this is something that I believe I'm qualified for. I have done, paid my dues. I have done, you know, all that I need to do when I think I would do a really good job and bring honor and glory to your kingdom and decide, create your hope for that particular job. Go after the job, get the job, and make a difference. I have to tell you, I had a job working for the Connecticut General, and it required an MBA. I don't have an MBA. I knew it required an MBA. I told the people when I went in for the interview, 
No, I do not have an MBA. However, I believe I can do this job. And I believe I can do this job well. Do you know what? I got the job. I didn't have an MBA, but I also had the entire throne room of heaven and everything available to me, the angels putting everything in place so that I got the job. That's the right. point that I'm making is it all starts here. Yeah. Amen. Okay, but you have to have confidence. Now, I didn't have confidence in me. Trust me, I was believing God and trusting that he was going to show me every single thing that I had to do to do the job. And then it was really interesting because this is not really a funny story, but in a way it kind of is. Connecticut General merged with INA, so it became Cigna. At the time that it did, I had to close down another office in Great Neck, which might not mean anything to you, but it's like a little bit of a ritzy area on Long Island. I had to close it down, and one of the people was making about $225,000 a year. Now, this was back almost 35 years ago. He was making about $225 a year, but here's the interesting thing. This is why, you know how it says um, in uh, Psalm 27 about, no, Psalm 23, how the Lord will make your enemies your footstool, okay? One of the men that I had to fire, who was making $225,000 a year. I'm laughing only because this was the same man who used to live about three blocks away from me when I was growing up. And he had a beautiful home. And his daughter went to school with, with me when I went to school. And this is so funny, because this goes back to when they integrated the schools, OK? So therefore, the school that I went to, you know, I happened to be one of the black people who got to go to this really ritzy, well, it wasn't really ritzy. It was still public school. But the, the people who were there had a whole lot more, basically. And this man got angry when I was at his house one day playing with his daughter. I was in second grade. And he was so perturbed and wanted to know from his wife why did she let this little black child come in playing with his daughter? And I had to fire him. The point that I'm making is it just shows you how you treated me like dirt when I was in second grade. I will still be gracious to you as I tell you what your severance will be because you are out of here. I was like, yes! it just shows you how when you are nasty to people, but people are still trusting and believing God, how things can turn around. So it was really, it, it's not really a funny story. I guess it could be sad. But in a way, to me, I was just like, God, you really have a sense of humor. Because at the time, I was devastated. Okay, you know, because I was like, I was just here playing. I didn't do anything wrong, but he just didn't want this little child. Well, this little child, he got to meet up with again. So anyway, all my point is, is when you trust God and you believe God and you are living for God, he's got you and he will take care of every single detail in your life. You just have to trust him. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Okay, now. The other thing we also have to remember, because of course, the enemy is constantly going to give us thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. You have to guard yourself. You've got to make sure that you're guarding what you're hearing, what you're seeing, what's in front of you. You really do. And we all know that, because we are definitely living in a time now where we have to be really careful. All of the stuff we're hearing, or otherwise we could just be very stressed, okay? And we know we don't need to be, but we, we still have to sometimes 
you do have to still say, okay, I listen to the news because I want to be informed, but you know what? I've heard enough for today. Click and turn it off. Because if not, you can become consumed with it. And without realizing it, it has a very negative effect on you. And, you know, you just don't want to allow that. So you've got to really, really guard yourself from all of the outside stimuli that you are receiving that does not line up with the truth, which is the word. Now, do me a favor, turn with me to Hebrews, the sixth chapter, because we're going to look at verses 18 and 19. Oh, wow, can't believe it. Hebrews 6, <clears throat> verses 18 and 19. And it says, starting with verse 18, and I'm going to share it with you first out of the Amplified. So that by two unchangeable things, here's the qualifier, his promise and his oath, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to him for refuge would have strong encouragement and indwelling strength to hold tightly to the hope set before us. This hope, this confident assurance, we have as an anchor of the soul. It cannot slip and it cannot break down under whatever pressure bears upon it. A safe and steadfast hope that enters within the veil of the holy temple, that most holy place in which the very presence of God dwells. And if we look at it in the easy to read, it's really more simplistic and it says, these two things cannot change. God cannot lie when he says something, and he cannot lie when he makes an oath. So these two things are a great help to us who have come to God for safety. They encourage us to hold on to the hope that is ours. This hope is like an anchor for us. It is strong and sure and keeps us safe. It goes behind the curtain. Now, just so that you have some understanding of why it's saying curtain and veil, what is that all about? The spiritual curtain in the heavenly temple, which was symbolized by the physical one that separated the inner sanctuary and God's presence from the other room in the holy tent in the Jerusalem temple. In other words, there used to literally be a physical curtain that was there. Now we don't have these issues because this, the Holy Spirit lives within us. The whole Godhead lives within us. But that's what it's referring to when you hear this in scripture. And then lastly the message says when God made his promise to Abraham he backed it to the hilt putting his own reputation on the line. He said I promise that I'll bless you with everything I have. Bless and bless and bless. Abraham stuck it out and got everything that had been promised to him. When people make promises, they guarantee them by appeal to some authority above them so that if there is any question that they'll make good on the promise, the authority will back them up. When God wanted to guarantee his promises, he gave his word, a rock solid guarantee. God can't break his word. And because his word cannot change, the promise is likewise unchangeable. We who have run from our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. It's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline reaching past all appearances right to the very presence 
of God, where Jesus, running on ahead of us, has taken up his permanent post as high priest for us in the order of Melchizedek. The point being is we have nothing but encouragement when we read the word. There is absolutely no reason for us to be forlorn, concerned, or anything else. Unlike other people in our lives, it is not possible for God to lie. We can always count on him and stand firmly on his word. Now, if you allow your mental picture of God's promise to stoop down to the level of what the world says, the greatest faith won't accomplish anything. And you need to know that. We can liken hope. Now, here's another scenario for you. We can liken hope to a blueprint. You can't continually change the blueprint while the builder is at work bringing substance to the house. Amen. Think about it. How can faith produce anything when the blueprint keeps changing? It's a key point. Turn with me to James, the first chapter, and we're going to look at verses 5 through 8. James, the first chapter, verses 5 through 8. And it says, if in the New King James Version, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, the Amplified has quite a bit of qualifiers, and it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, here's the qualifier, to guide him through a decision or circumstance, he is to ask of our benevolent God, who gives to everyone generously and without rebuke or blame, and it will be given to him. But he must ask for wisdom in faith without doubting God's willingness to help. For the one who doubts is like a billowing surge of the sea that is blown about and tossed by the wind. For such a person ought not to think or expect that he will receive anything at all from the Lord. Being a double-minded man, unstable and restless in all his ways, in everything he thinks, feels, or decides. Hmm. And the message says, if you don't know what you're doing, pray to the Father. He loves to help. You'll get his help and won't be condescended to when you ask for it. That's very key. Ask boldly, believingly, without a second thought. People who worry their prayers are like wind-whipped waves. Don't think you're going to get anything from the master that way. Adrift at sea, keeping all your options open. Now that's something because a lot of people do exactly that. So unlike other people in our lives, it is not possible for God to lie. We can always count on him and we can always stand firmly on his word, like I said. This is letting us know how to discover every detail though of our blueprint. What I just read, that's very key because you may be sitting and you may be saying, okay, well, there's a goal that you have in mind 
and you want to create a blueprint, but there's still some things you're not 100% sure on. And you really, it's, it, you're earnest in that, you're being authentic in that, and you want to make sure you're doing everything right. Okay, well, we have to do what it just told us in James. Go to the Father and ask him. Now, when you ask him, you've got to be patient and you've got to listen because his sheep hear his voice. So you listen and he'll tell you every single thing, exactly how you're supposed to do it with complete detail. Where a lot of us miss it is we jump the gun, so to speak, and we have an image of what we want, and we're all, you know, and I, I have done this, so that's why I can tell you I have done this, okay? I, oh, I'm gonna start this business. Oh, yes, I just know exactly what I wanna do, and I forget about some of the details, some things that I guess could have been obvious to somebody else, but I think I have the plan. I've got the blue pen all out, ready to go. And then in the midst of it, I'm like, oh, that's not going to work. Oh, that was, that's a mistake. Oh, oh yeah. so obviously what the thing is that I want to happen is not going to be able to manifest because my blueprint or my hope was messed up to begin with. So that's why we need to go to the Father first. Let him tell us exactly what the blueprint is supposed to be and how it's supposed to be. I can't believe I just, I literally ran out of time. Oh my gosh. Oh, I was just getting ready to get into a really good example about people who want to be married. <laughs> I thought it was really good anyway. Anyway.